0: Welcome to Myths of Midgard. This podcast offers a scholarly lens on Norse myth and Viking Age Scandinavia. We'll discuss source materials like the Eddas, sagas, poetry, and more, making them accessible to all, from scholars to modern pagans to curious minds. Join us in unraveling the tales of gods, giants, and heroes. Man your oars and let's set sail. Hello everyone, and thanks for tuning in to this episode of Myths of Midgard. It's been a while since my last post, and a lot of things have changed. I had finals there in Oslo, and then visited family in the States, And I've successfully moved back to Iceland for my thesis semester. Uh, Wish me luck while I'm writing it, and I'm looking forward to eventually sharing it, uh, hopefully on a future episode. Today, I interviewed Dr. Felix Loomer, who teaches Old Norse religion and belief here at the University of Iceland. In this episode, he and I briefly touch on the beliefs and practices of Germanic peoples prior to the Viking Age. If able, in addition to this podcast, I encourage you to watch the episode on YouTube as he shares some slides from his course. As a disclaimer, though, there are images of deceased people uh, on the slides, So if that makes you uncomfortable, then the podcast is going to be preferable over the video. More information about Dr. Loomer and his research and publications can be found on his academia.edu page please check the description of this episode for links and resources. And most importantly, enjoy today's episode. All right, awesome. Felix, thanks again for uh, allowing me to talk to you today. Um, I think, yeah, before we start, um, what we were talking about before I press record here. So for those who are going to watch the video later on YouTube, they're definitely going to have an advantage on seeing what you're talking about, because like you said, looking at archeological, um, finds is very difficult if you can't see it. So for those listening, uh, we'll, we'll try to. Uh, you know, Dr. Loomer will try to describe it as best he can. But um, if you can access the YouTube version uh, under the same name, that would be awesome. So I guess uh, without further ado, uh, just kind of the first thing to, to hit off the interview. Um, what are some sources that scholars can use to understand the cultic and or what we would call religious practices of germanic peoples prior to the viking age
1: well sure um of course thanks thanks for having me and thanks for being willing to talk to me <laughs> Always, always always sure, a pleasure yeah. um well the the evidence that is is quite diverse in fact i mean we could um I've, i have some notes here <clears throat> and we can we can obviously start with archaeological evidence we can go into climatological evidence right some written evidence obviously is a bit later but um i'm i'm currently also teaching at the university a class on old nordic religion and belief and one of the things that i try to make very clear is that what we think about being you know, however you want to call it. Pre Christian Scandinavian religion or you know, old Nordic religion, what have you. It it does not necessarily start with the Viking Age, right? There's a considerable body of evidence that predates the Viking Age. And so usually I start with, okay, so let's let's start in, you know, the Stone Age, with the Ice Age coming to a close, the ice retreating further north, and then obviously the first animals going into Scandinavia and the people, the hunters and gatherers obviously following their prey. And um, it comes to a surprise then, for some people that the first things the first signs of potentially, you know, cultic or religious practices dates to 12,000 BCE, which is quite some distance away from the Viking Age, right. And then obviously, we oh, are yeah. dealing mostly with artifacts, such as jewelry, at that point in time obviously mostly out of amber you know like little little amber figurines Um, talking about that let me just try to get one of the slides going here just to need to awesome talking about the um screen share window here share so you so should be seeing this. This is um, through one of my slides here that I'm teaching. I'm sorry. Oh, sorry for perfect. the scrolling, but um, where are we? No, no, Um, No, too far. <laughs> too far. Uh, where are we? Here we are. So, um, no, still not trying. You might need to cut this then later on. I'm sorry. No, here we no, are. Don't worry about it. There. Finally found the slide. <laughs> uh, right. Um, these these are some of the the artifacts that we are talking then about. And um, again, this is in the context of my of my teaching. But what you're seeing here are artifacts made of amber that go way back. You see it on the slide there. Twelve thousand BCE, nine thousand BCE in Denmark and Sweden. And it, it, it just could be that these items are, you know, some sort of, of, of jewelry, you know, nothing specifically religious about them. But you obviously could also go down the religious route and think about these things as um, important to the people, obviously, because otherwise they wouldn't have made them. And elk is obviously an animal that was hunted in the time that was prey and when you are subsiding on this animal then becomes very important and when it is very important to your society obviously you want in various by various means you want to make sure that the animal is there in abundance for you to subsist right so how could you do this for instance by creating amulets and um, potentially then using these amulets in 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 some ritualistic way or what have you in kind of summoning the animal back to you or making it easier to hunt or to obviously um proliferate right because the more small baby elks there are the the more meat you can get right so this is also something that is very important for instance yeah and, and then you see that this goes way way back um i stopped the share for a second here and then you have to
0: the, yeah. those real quick those amulets are they found mainly in graves or uh, i saw that you had something yeah that graves. was just on the on the oh.
1: on the slide because um, at times we were talking obviously about how people were buried in this point in time um mm-hmm. i don't know that they were found in a burial context it might be but again, it is it is th- these findings, they are now from from Scandinavia, but we have them also from France and the British Isles. Uh-huh. So it is not something that is unique to Scandinavia, which is also something that is very interesting because it contextualizes what we are having, because a lot of the evidence is rather ambiguous I can um, later on when we are talking about rock carvings, for instance, I can I can show you some of the more ambiguous things that are going on. But context is very important for us to make sense of what we are seeing there. Of course, Uh, further material is obviously then becoming way later now dealing, you know, with with the Iron Age and Bronze Age, we have a lot of um, wetland depositions of weapons animal carcasses ships the the bar bodies exactly oak coffins that have been preserved Mm. with their bodies inside graves in general and um surely also rock carvings and and picture stones which are then obviously a bit more more ambiguous yeah when it comes to climatological evidence it is obviously interesting to see how different the landscape was if at all and what we see is that for the most part the regions that we are looking at were until you know 500 BCE were quite wetter so the water level was higher up to at times 15 20 meters higher so like considerably higher which obviously also has an impact on the landscape. So you would see more lakes, more walks, wetland in essence. And when you have a specific environment that might obviously also impact on your cultic behavior on your religious behavior, as you have seen, for instance, when I mentioned wetland depositions, right? You are um, offering or sacrificing things to water, because there is an abundance of water. And then you can obviously yeah. ask yourself the question, what is it then about the water that is so important to these people? Does something live there in the water? Or, you know, in the in, in sense of a deity or deities or spirits or what have you? Or can we see, in, in a sense, a dichotomy? being established here between the living that live on dry land and the dead that rest in the water referring again back to bog bodies for instance
0: yeah so sort of like the water being this like a portal in some sort of sense yeah right
1: in oh yeah you know some, some some kind of limitless space where you are somewhere in between you're not you know because some of the bog bodies that we have, they show signs of being deliberately fastened or weighed down so that they do you have any, pictures of those? You some of those, um, maybe before I show them, uh, you might want to have a disclaimer.
0: Ah, yeah, 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 sure. So yeah, these, these are going to be pictures of deceased, d- deceased beings. So definitely if, if that make sure I'm yeah they look probably. a lot
1: like mummies so yeah. they are very yeah. uneary and I do not really like looking at them but this is obviously one of the bullets that I have to take to the knee right when teaching about this yeah um yeah and it, they
0: I mean I, I remember uh is I you know taking your class last year I, I
1: remember they are very well preserved. it is amazing the amount of preservation that the uh, tannic acid has yeah um so I will start the screen share here um there we are this is for instance um the so-called Tollund man he is uh, was found in tolund which is in yuland in denmark and um, Mm. you can see here um, his entrails being preserved and that preservation is so good that we know what his last meal was and if we go further down here are some slides of when he was dug up initially right you can you can see him here on the slides oh yeah a better picture here maybe from when he was unearthed and what obviously for in these both bodies now for us very interesting is this person did not die a natural death he was killed and he has a very prominent noose around his neck, which is also preserved. So hence we know that he was either hanged or, you know, garroted, strangled, however you want to call it. But um, since since the rope is still quite considerably, I think you can see it here, quite good. Um, oh, yeah. He might be hanged or, or hung. I don't know what you prefer. And um, yeah. I mean, you can still see his yeah, facial it hair. Is, yeah, you Isn't can it? still see his facial hair. It is it is amazing, the amount of preservation. Um, maybe you can see it here a bit, here, you can still. Yeah, in yes. this position yes. that he's in. It is very remarkable. Also, you see here very good, the preservation, right, with his skin still, the leather cap, yeah. quite amazing. And um, when, when, obviously, when you see this is now 100 AD or CE, no specie sorry um Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you have people that are hung clearly deliberately killed and Mm -hmm. that are then deposited into a bog it makes you wonder as to why would this have been done and you can come up with some ideas right well it could be a murder victim that was then you know just hushed away in a box somehow it could be an accident you know box are very treacherous landscape so people might just go missing in a box not in this case obviously but, <laughs> yeah. but but still you might find just people you know banishing in box or people being murdered and then again, hushed away in bogs. In this instance, obviously, it seems to be two other options. Either we are dealing here with a person that was punished for a crime. So the criminal that was then executed. Or if you're inclined to see this as something more religious, he might have been sacrificed. Yeah, now strangulation is something that we find in old nordic religion with a particular deity right Odin and his self-sacrifice um we have other stories later on with starker and um, his mock sacrifice of king vikar which is also done by hanging so there are potential connections that you could do here right it's like does this have to do something with being ritually killed as as a you know a sacrifice to Odin maybe then by that point in time it might obviously be way too early to talk about Odin might be some some proto Odin you know like some notion that might then develop yeah. into what we become known what, what would he become known in the viking age then it's no. yeah i'm
0: just i'm reminded
1: of the hanging bodies and yeah, Uppsala yeah, or something you know. yeah exactly Gamla Uppsala is another this is northern in sweden but people yeah. were hung as sacrifices in groves if we take this as as you know at face value of the descriptions then but if we if we want to continue you know you have a Graubolle here and um Bodomose, so people people are being oh. killed by strangulation and put in box. Here yeah. we have again the rope preserved very well with the bottom man, and it has been suggested that it looks kind of like a like a torque, like a specific kind of yeah necklace. That's very interesting. Um, Hudremose. Again, strangulation. Very well preserved um, clothes, and then the the very interesting bog body, the Vindeby boy. Yeah, which Vindaby. was initially sexed as a girl, but then got reanalyzed and <coughs> now turned out to be a boy, which is quite remarkable. We okay. don't know whether or not he was you know, strangled or not. But um, remarkably, he has a strip of cloth over his eyes. It could just be, you know, some some kind of hairband that fell down through the time. Mm. If it is not a hairband, but in a sense, a blindfold we could again infer something criminal right because even in in our modern times some some people are executed they are getting you know a paper bag or a paper cloth or what have you over their eyes before they're executed mm-hmm. um yeah it could also be something more in line with magic for instance um you know the fear of the evil eye or something when this person was understood to have some magical capabilities it could very well be that before he was killed that they put a blindfold over his eyes so that they were not subjected to a kind of evil stare we have these things um being depicted in saga literature where sorcerers and witches are killed but only Mm -hmm. after they have a cloth over their head in saga it is also done with a horse so the superstition is not exclusively relating to, to, um, humans. Yes. Humans. Yeah. And, and I mean, even, even the, the English language <clears throat> has still, you know, putting the wool over somebody's eyes. So there might be, again, you know, you have the evidence. These, these people, unfortunately don't talk to us anymore. So we have to infer from comparative material. however, this comparative material there might still be some 500 years between some thousand years between but still it is quite interesting the resemblance that there is in some of these finds
0: yeah and it seems that those bodies all seem to be around the
1: same time frame Mm -hmm. Like, yeah you have you have some obviously dating might be a bit um, how do you say a bit, a bit um, difficult? There are some discrepancies in the dating, but yeah, you usually have something that is around, you know, in a, in a, in a roughly two hundred year time frame, um, five hundred year time frame, depending on how you again, how far you get the the differences in there, in, there, in the discrepancies in there, you get some some seven hundred bodies not only within Scandinavia but also then obviously uh, the British Isles Ireland mm. we also have some from um, the Netherlands but then again it is a problem with dating a lot of these might be you know 15th 16th century so this is then maybe not necessarily relevant to the topic at hand
0: do we see a a, a timeline of when this practice of placing whether it be the the dead or a sacrifice, human or object or whatever, do we see um, a time period when that
1: stops in the archeological record? Yes, we do. (laughs) As if we made notes, right? (laughs) As if we (laughs) came prepared. Yeah, yeah. of course. um, We have um, a very severe event happening. And this can be quite easily dated to roughly five, three, six AD when there appeared to have been either one or two volcanic eruptions or a series of volcanic eruptions happening in the Americas, which were quite impactful in the global scale on the climate and then what we are seeing as a result of these volcanic eruptions is some kind of volcanic winter something akin to a nuclear winter that you might think of so obviously huge ash cloud that impedes the sunlight layers of ash which make barren the soil and obviously as a consequence of the reduction of sunlight temperatures are plummeting which in turn, leads to severe winters. Yeah. And um, the scientific record is, is quite substantial. So, we have a lot of ice core samples from Greenland and Antarctica that show the evidence of an acidic dust whale during this time period. We have uh, dendrochronological evidence, um, tree data. Let's it's called it's called a tree data um, which we have from Ireland Sweden Finland Siberia you name it which indicate that trees in this period show minimal growth so something must have impacted their growth um historical accounts we have some Irish annals that are mentioning that there are hardly any crops, and that there is a shortage, a severe shortage of bread in the years 536 to 539 AD. We have Procopius of Caesarea, who is mentioning a thick fog suffocating the sun. So obviously, there is a lot of evidence that something severe happened that impacted the climate.
0: Yeah, from several different regions and cultures, there is exactly this.
1: And, um, we also have it obviously in old norse mythology um yeah tell, yeah, tell us about, about that. that yeah
0: that's so
1: sure. um some of some of your listeners might be already familiar with old norse mythology to to a large extent and might have heard of a term called Fimbulvetr, which is depending on what sources you consult either in Vafruthnismaðr, it is used for Ragnarök, so you know the end of the gods, or in Gilfaginning, so with Snorri Sturluson, it is used as a sort of precursory event which leads up to Ragnarök. And yeah. um, I mean, I have I have the section here. Then spoke Gangleri. What information is there to be given about Ragnarök? I have not heard tell of this before. And then Haur says. There are many important things to be told about it. First of all, that a winter will come called Fimbul. Winter. And Fimbul is something that is either great or um mighty. You could also um call it, you know, some something magically mighty then Mm -hmm. snow will drift from all directions there will then be great frosts and keen winds the sun will do no good there will be three of these winters together and no summer in between so we have a prolonged winter no sun hardly any you know again infertility of the ground a great tragedy all around and obviously if you're reading this it reminds you of such a catastrophic event as took place in 536 AD and obviously this is not something that is done within a year right in uh, ash and or the dust waves that needs some time to dissipate so you will have some yeah. years of um yeah impediment and hardship regarding your your fertility of the soil your crops uncertainty and um it might also be very um psychologically damaging right because up to that point the evidence that we are having shows clearly that old nordic religions or systems of beliefs as another topic how you want to phrase it um were yeah. obviously bound to the nature right we had it you you are outside you are depositing in wetlands so lakes are revisited time and again the nature plays an important part the sun is very important and then seemingly for you out of the blue this all goes away right so the sun doesn't work anymore fertility the nature doesn't work anymore so it is a hugely impactful hugely impactful psychologically religiously and obviously climatologically, socially you name it it impacts all all facets mm-hmm. of life
0: so then it's i mean we can we can pretty much presume or i mean perhaps there's some doubt but there's a good chance that the old nordic eschatology this idea of the winter could have been some sort of remnant of a cultural memory
1: certainly because um something like this you will remember and this is not something that will be forgotten in a lifetime you will be telling stories about this time and again because again this is such a such a huge event and um it is also something that apart from obviously all the archaeological evidence and the one part in guild that i just um, mentioned that we also see elsewhere right Um, for instance we have picture stones mostly found in Ah, and we have um the earliest type which is roughly dated to say 400 to 600 you know a D, C E, you know, it's like give or take. In which you have a sun symbol which is very prominent on some of these stones.
0: Could you could you pull some of these up? Yeah, of course. Even if it even if it yeah, takes it a second, yeah, it's absolutely um, and so you you see these sun symbols sort of disappearing. Yes, is that, that what is
1: obviously what I'm hinting at. Um, yeah. again, this is from my from my teaching slides here. Uh, oh screen share there we are and um, obviously you have these circular structures these circular circles let's call them that um these circles here these are the sun and and you see they are quite prominent on these picture stones right here this one, this one is um, the Sunday Church four. One is very interesting because you, you you appear to have a tree here, and then you have a line, the sun above, and sure. then something below. But but anyway, I digress. So yeah, the 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 sun is very prominent on these. I can also go back again, right? And um, the sun does not appear really after in any subsequent types. This obviously taken alone, might just be, you know, oh, people got tired of it, maybe new influence, maybe some, some new artsy style, okay, this is now how we do it, something like this. But when you obviously think about something like five three six happening, then it puts it more into um, correlation that there actually might be something happening, why the sun is not being put so prominently on these picture stones because it failed
0: and you mentioned that during this time maybe mythologically we could assume a shift in what deities played in in importance like this you know this connection to the land and landscapes and maybe old deities uh nerthus and all of these that played some sort of importance with the landscape and now all of a sudden people are going inside
1: yeah um Nathus is obviously a very interesting thing but i think she deserves a podcast for herself
0: yeah we (laughs) can have you back (laughs) in the future okay
1: sure sure i'll I'll take it talking about Nathus. um but but yeah anyway um to to go back to this sure you can suggest that this event the dust whale or the volcanic eruptions the nuclear winter however you want to phrase it is way more impactful on old Nordic religion and belief than the advent of Christianity is because when the advent of Christianity you are basically having you know one set of deities and you just exchange it or you just correlate <clears throat> it to Christianity and then you say oh we you know your grand your ancestors you know your grandparents they believed in this and that but actually you know what they kind of believed in is and then insert whatever Christian model sub you know somewhat correlates to whatever old Norse model but here what we are seeing is that basically the landscape in essence is given up why obviously again because of the fertility seizing the sun seizing and um I have some some um numbers here there's an interesting study done by grassland and price who went through settlement and settlement abandonment in that time in sweden and um, it is just it is just catastrophic what is happening here some some numbers in upland so we are dealing with central eastern parts of sweden upland 75 percent of farms are being abandoned oland which is a um, you have Gotland, which is an island, and Irland is also a small island closer to mainland Sweden, a bit southern. Right. Um, 1300 farms. on Gotland, 1900 farms. In Rogaland, the region of Norway, um, 180 out of 440 settlements abandoned, which is roughly 41 percent. So you see that there is an, a social upheaval. People cannot sustain their farms anymore. So what they are, what are they doing? Obviously, some of them might die as unfortunate as it is. But those that survive, obviously, they huddle together, they congregate. Mm. And where do they congregate to, obviously, to larger settlements, areas and spheres of influence people that have maybe a retinue that can protect you against Raiders that can protect your crops, your animals. And then obviously, we start the emergence of what is usually referred to as central places. Which is okay. the settlements surrounding a chieftain settlement. So you have um, a prominent settlement where a chieftain resides, and then you get some other settlements dotted around that, right? So so you might get a settlement for warriors, or a settlement where the smith is living, or you know, a settlement for um, a harbor or something like that. Some trade going on. Maybe a religious site or some several religious sites in the vicinity. And these are done by what is called a toponymy or toponymous evidence, basically place names. Mm-hmm. So you see then something, right. a place name ending in Horf, and then you look around. Oh, okay. So we have um, a village that is called Karleby close by. So the warrior's settlement or village. And then you have Smithby. Okay. Yeah. Th- th- that's where the Smith. And then from there, you can see, okay, so people are congregating to spheres of power. Now, Mm -hmm. when you are leaving landscape, and when you are leaving behind your lake that you have visited for 300, 600 years ago, you still need your religion, you still need somewhere to express that. And what we are seeing then in the wake of 536 AD is that the role of the women ceases, So or, or diminishes rather. Mm. Female figures were very important before we have it in engraves in, in and you know, other figurines that have been found or carvings, women can play an important role, as did the landscape. But this ceases. so men take over and because nature has become unreliable you need to go elsewhere the next logical step is you go from the outside to the inside but also something that you do is because the landscape the lake doesn't move you move and once you abandon the landscape as something very important for your religion and you move inside you also make something with this religion other than obviously moving inside you making it, it in a sense, portable, it can move around with you. So this is also something that is very interesting. It also leads to the emergence of a kind of chieftain, priests conglomeration, where the head of a society may also be its spiritual leader. So there right. are there are hugely Um, important upheavals that are happening which reshape how we have to think about old nordic religion after this event then
0: yeah i'm i'm sort of reminded then of uh i think you had mentioned it too in in the class but the uh i think neil price had an article on the sutton who helmet and this idea of you know the leader putting on a helmet like this and and becoming odin
1: yeah um yeah so this obviously has to do now with with ritual performance but obviously we can we can talk about this for a second so as i said people congregated and found spheres of power revolving around chieftain now, the chieftain obviously wants to retain his power or wants to... Hello, camera. <laughs> I have I have become unsharp. There we are. Now in focus again. Sorry for that. So um, the the chieftain either wants to retain power or wants to expand his sphere of influence, which obviously leads to warfare. Now, with warfare being... An important aspect of diplomacy, you need people that are willing to die for you. and you need to yeah. sell this somehow because in essence if 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 I'm a chieftain say, and I want to conquer a neighboring chieftain because maybe their their land is more fertile or they have more um, cows or pigs or livestock. that was the word. Thank you. They have uh, more livestock and you want yeah. to yeah. Uh, suck this up for your own then obviously I need to sell to you as my warrior. Hey, this is a good thing to do. You might die in the process, but obviously this is a, a risk that I am willing to take. Um, and uh, then you might ask yourself, it's like, why do I need to die for five cows? Right? What 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 is the benefit for me? And then I can say, okay, you know, it's just like I give you gold in return well you can only do so much with gold especially if you're dead yeah. so afterlife becomes very important and this obviously ties back into this sudden who helmet say and Odin, and and ritual performance so i want to impose my will on you and i do this by saying various things and obviously, tying this this to religion and thoughts of afterlife is a very, very good tool. And how do I do this? Now, you know obviously that I am a chieftain, but um I am also, in a sense, a religious leader. And I tie these two together by, for instance, using a helmet. A helmet is obviously kind of a mask, in a sense. Yeah. And when you are putting on a helmet, you are becoming somebody else. You might have done this as well in your life, you know, putting on a helmet, and then you're becoming somebody else a warrior fighter, something obviously, it also hides your identity. So it makes it easier to become whatever it is that you want to become. And very interestingly, with a certain who helmet, as you said, one eye lights up. So um, it is a helmet that has a complete face guard. So it only shows like you both both of your eyes. And on one of the eyes, it has some um, stones or evidence of stones behind it, which in fire or in light would light up. So you have, would have one dark eye and one lit up eye, which obviously ties nicely Incredible. into Odin. And because of there being a face protection, also my voice changes. So I'm not only looking differently, but also I am sounding differently to underline that I am not your chieftain Felix anymore but I am in fact Odin now by transforming into Odin I'm not only becoming the deity but I do various things firstly I change the surrounding as well right when you think about me becoming Odin putting on the helmet in a hall I might change the hall into a different place kind of like Valhök potentially Mm. um if it were outside, I might change whatever it is you know into a battlefield or something like that. I change you. You are a warrior, but you are then the warrior of Odin, right? You might become an ein an, an einheri, right? So, yeah. What I then do is I take you and transform you as well. But I don't only do this. But because the notion is that in are already dead, they have already died. I basically say it's like, look, you don't have to fear anything. You don't have to fear death because you are already dead. You are already yeah. an a And obviously, if you're not afraid of death, you might fight it easier to 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 fight and actually be more proficient on the battlefield. Because again, what ha- do you have to lose? You have lost your life already. So you don't have to lose that anymore so you're basically taking away one of the greatest fears you're sapping this you know you're you're nipping this right in the butt and um, this is a very very powerful tool wow
0: i mean it's it's phenomenal to think about the idea of you know the hall becoming this central place but then also revealing itself and sort of remaining in the mythology even afterwards because like like you had mentioned you know this idea of Mm -hmm. valhalla is probably one of the most well-known motifs of of norse myth and when people think of vikings they think of you know this i'm going to go to valhalla and it's interesting to see how this idea perhaps even developed as a ne- almost as a, a survival necessity to come together, and then it ends up reflected in the exactly.
1: But also, I- again, the the prominence of Valhalla now might be simply due to the um, the written sources, the written evidence that has come down to us, and obviously the people that wrote that and the people that preserved it. Because a lot of the the mm-hmm. evidence that we're having is Galdic poetry, so regarding violent right um so so there is yeah. obviously an emphasis by chieftains by skulls to preserve that kind of knowledge because they are both Absolutely. both both in, in in essence are profiting from it so our sources might be skewed towards this because this is the most prominent uh, social class in a sense that is prolific uh, proficient prolific prolific, how do you say yeah yeah prolific prolific. thinking that was the word it is prolific and um there's also a great um how can you say incentive to preserve this knowledge Mm -hmm. and to distribute this knowledge so our sources might be skewed towards this right because um right you because that's what's left exactly we don't know what you know a 10th century Danish farmer thought yeah that is obviously one of the great tragedies and but yeah it is very interesting what these people were, were capable of doing as they saw that their their previous ways in a sense failed quite remarkable
0: I guess I guess that leads me to sort of the, sort of the final thing I wanted to to ask you. I mean, and really this is just open-ended, but just talking about common misconceptions about Norse myth and like how you as a a scholar in in the field of old Nordic belief, like based on your research or, or people that you've talked to, you know, how does the scholarly view differ from maybe the common misconceptions.
1: So I've, I've noted down two points that I would like to address. Um, one of them is the use quite often in popular media, but you see it also in, in, in scholarly works, the use of Viking religion to whatever mm. it is that we are doing. Obviously, it is a very, very catchy term. It gives it great saleability. Where, yeah, Viking religion is like, oh, Vikings and uh, their religion, and um, which obviously builds on the sand foundation of what a Viking is and how it is understood, which might be different in scholarly circles than it is elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And and the idea is this is this is like the the the, the first lecture I do in my class that I teach is it's like okay let's let's just discuss you know what is a religion and can we talk about old Nordic religion or pre Scandinavian pre-christian Scandinavian religion it's like is this a religion even right can we think about this as being a unified belief system right can I say with certainty that a farmer in southern Denmark has the same understanding of the mythology as a fisherman in Northern Norway as probably not because there are so many different aspects that might impact on how you perceive of the mythology right your profession your sex um the time Mm -hmm. when you are living where you're living you know you might live you know in the village next over but there might be like two mountain regions in between. And then it's like, obviously, this can impact on the mythology that in one valley, there might be differences compared to the next valley. So is it even worth or is it even does does it even lead to anything? If we say, religion in the singular, or do we need to talk about religions? And once you go down that rabbit hole, then is it even worth to be called a religion? Or are we talking about a system of belief or even systems of beliefs, right? Exactly. So when when you say Viking religion, it obviously feels to me as though you were talking about the religion that this kind of warrior band, these 550, oh, like like 150 men that sailed somewhere to raid somewhere had and and then you're like yeah but even they might not have had the same understanding depending on whether they were from Denmark or from Norway right they might have had differences even then so so Viking religion at least to me is kind of an empty term because it doesn't say anything it is it is used as a casual phrase but then again does it even address what we are talking about and I would argue no so pre-Christian Scandinavian religion might be very you know apt same as old Nordic religion it depends on how far you want to go back right old Nordic religion again goes back way back right we're talking then about Stone Age even pre-Christian Scandinavian religions might not go that far back in time
0: and as we'll talk about in the future I mean we we have uh, examples perhaps of goddesses turning into gods and you know Stay tuned. <laughs>
1: yeah, but... yeah, that 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 is a thing. Yeah, they might they might change sexes in between. They might not, depending yeah. on whether or not you w- want to follow one scholar's interpretation of a name. And yeah. and another thing that mm, is is somewhat different. It's still debated in our field. The idea of an old Nordic pantheon. Where you have Odin as the main deity and then trickling down from there. Do we really have this, right? Does Odin really appeal to everybody? Also, again, through the ages, is is Odin really very important to a farmer? Or might not, you know, Thor or Freyr be more important to a farmer? Likewise, for for a warrior, might not Thor Freyr be more important because both of them also have warrior aspects to them, right? Thor famously kills yeah. giants for breakfast. Um. This is something that came up, you know, in the in the seventeen hundreds, for instance, with, um, who was it? Uh, Art Grimur Jonsson and his Grimur and then Finn Magnusson, obviously, some centuries later, the correlation between Nordic and classical Greek or classical Roman, depending on how you want to phrase it, um, religions, and then the notion of, okay, you know, Greek Pantheon has is, is there. And then obviously, in the north, we need to compare it, because we are just as great as the classical religions, of course, we are. Um, and then you start to building in a sense, a pantheon where there might not have been one. Hmm. Granted, you obviously have Odin as a very important deity, but for who is it important? Again, for the chieftains and for the skulls, yeah. but these are also the people that preserve the written evidence for the most part. So, exactly. what I was talking about earlier with it skewed kind of perception, yes, you might get. Alfödr, right? The old Father as a canning for for Odin. But then again, who applies these canning? The skulls, right? And for whom are they applying this? For a deity that they might find appealing.
0: The person employing them. As well, right? <laughs> yeah.
1: So for instance, in in Sweden, Freyr is very important arguably even more important than Odin mm-hmm. so is 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 he supposed to be the main deity in Sweden or just in, in general? It's like how how do how how does it work, right? Can we even think about there being something that is hierarchical to begin with? And um, I sometimes find it. Interesting, you know, when you when you scroll through social media or something, and then everybody's like, "Oh yeah, the warriors of Odin, hail Odin!" Ah, hail. and then you're like, "Ah." Oh. Is it <laughs> is it is it though right? Because Odin, in essence, is a very capricious deity. He's very he's very fickle. Yeah. He can grant you victory, but he can also very easily just by a mood swing, yeah, yeah, he can yeah break exactly. your sword, right? So. He is not that kind of a deity that I would want to rely on in my everyday life. And also, he does nothing for farming. He does nothing for fishing. He sits there drinking wine, speaking in riddles all day. It's like, how appealing mm-hmm. can this be to the average Joe? Exactly.
0: And I mean, as you mentioned earlier in in the in the episode, place oh, names.
1: Yeah. Another thing: right. place names. Sure. I mean, um, yeah. look look in um, the Book of Settlements, right? Land number book for the Icelanders. How many names are there with Thor? Even in modern Iceland, right? You can you can yeah. combine Thor with almost everything there is, right? As a name. Yeah. Thor. You have Thor, um Borgthor, Thor, and then obviously yeah. Thordis, right? You have also Female names with this, um, all the Thor place names that there are. For Odin, what do you have? Oh yeah, you have Odinse. Great. And then personal names? Well, you can have Odin. And then there is a very obscure Odin Kaur, which I've asked Icelanders, they have no, never no. heard of this. So Yeah, I've only seen
0: one there was a baby that was named Odin that
1: that I saw yeah, like okay. last year, and that's the only person uh, I've ever... um in, in, in my in my um, not teaching job. I have a colleague whose name is Odin. But yeah, it is it is very interesting to see even now the prominence of, for instance, Thor. So at least at least in Iceland, Odin is not the main deity, Odin is not the guy. There's not one place in, him in Iceland that has anything to do with Odin. So again, who brings these myths over here to Iceland? Is it really Odin? But then where is he? Right, he cannot be that influential, at least in Iceland. And then again, in Sweden. You know, it, it, it is very interesting food for thought here to, to think about, can we talk about one deity really being the main deity, the main guy for everybody. And then throughout the ages, very interesting to just you know ponder these things absolutely well
0: Felix thank you so much for agreeing to be on here today yeah all the information it was great um and for those of you listening like if you have any questions uh for Felix or anything that you want to hear in future episodes please reach out and let me know
1: also just write me an email message me yeah
0: Yeah, I will. Uh, I'll actually, like I said, put some of your um, works in the
1: uh, description Oh yeah, I've written stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've done that too. Yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, thank you again. for
1: having me. It's yeah. always a pleasure talking to you.